0: today on let the bible speak we each spend a lifetime making choices next the three most important choices we will ever make Good morning and welcome. It's my privilege to be with you today. and I'm glad you've chosen to spend a few moments studying and meditating upon the Word of God. It's a wonderful way to begin a new week. Today we wish to talk about decisions. Since God created us as beings of will and volition, we're confronted with decisions each and every day we live. Now Most of these choices seem so small that we almost make them subconsciously. Some of those choices, though, are pivotal and life-altering. As we grow to adulthood, we're confronted with several decisions that will most likely set the trajectory of our life going forward. Not that we can't make other decisions later when we're older and wiser that will set us on a better course, but how much better off we are if we have someone to share their wisdom and point us in the right direction and we make those decisions early in life. There are many passages in the Bible challenging us to make the right decisions, but perhaps one of the most familiar is found in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. Here we find Moses speaking to the people of Israel saying, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Now Moses sets a choice before the people. That alone should prove that we are creatures of choice. And there were two options in this case, just as there are two options before you and me, life or death, blessing or cursing. All of life's choices today come down to this same ultimatum. Of all the major decisions we will make in life, I believe the Word of God highlights at least three that are the most consequential of all. In fact, if we make the right decisions in these three areas, that will take care of the other decisions that will follow. So, stay with me for today's study Life's Greatest Decisions, after a song from the congregation. We spend all of our conscious lives making decisions. From the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep, we're constantly making choices throughout the day. God made us beings of volition or free will. According to an article in Psychology Today, on average we make more than 35,000 decisions in the course of a single day. If we sleep for seven hours, that amounts to about 2,000 decisions every hour and two choices per second. Well, Obviously, most of those decisions within themselves are not going to alter the course of our lives. They all, of course, have a consequence. That's the nature of any decision. But some are more consequential than others. Uh, Many decisions have a cumulative effect as one decision leads to another decision. But most of the choices we make in a day don't have an observable impact on the trajectory of our lives. Others, however, do. Moses made a single choice at 40 years old that completely changed the direction of his life when he chose to identify with his people, the people of God, and renounce the royal trappings of Egypt and its government. Alongside a dusty road near the border of Moab, a young pagan woman named Ruth decided to leave her family and home to follow Naomi back to Israel. And that one decision led to a series of events that not only secured a future for her, but for us as well by leading to the birth of Jesus Christ into the kingly family of David. And we could go on and on and tell of many other great choices that changed the course of history. There is great power in a choice. As I say, God created us to be able to choose right from wrong, and we should realize the weight of responsibility that that human characteristic places upon our shoulders. Now, first of all, we are free to choose. Second, we are not free to choose the consequences of our choice. Once we've made our choice, we cannot control the consequences. We reap what we sow. Third, we are not free to not choose. In other words, each one of us makes choices that will affect our lifelong and eternal destiny, and there's no getting out of that. You cannot say, well, I'll remain neutral and simply not choose. That's impossible because in trying not to choose, you are of necessity making a choice right then. Jesus said that he who is not for him is against him. So when you refuse to say yes to Christ, well, you've already said no to him. And then number four, when you make the big choices in life, that often takes care of the smaller choices. When you settle the biggest issues, you see that leaves no need for deliberation about the smaller issues. Those choices are already made based upon the bigger choice that you made before. I chose a long time ago to never smoke or drink, so I never have to decide what brand or kind of alcohol to buy, because that decision was taken out of the way when I chose to abstain altogether. I resolved a long time ago when I became a Christian to worship God every Lord's day. I made that commitment, and I therefore don't have to wake up and make a decision or a choice every time Sunday comes around. I've made that decision for the rest of my life, unless it's a circumstance beyond my control, such as serious sickness or injury, I know how my Sunday morning will be spent. That's the effect that long range decisions have upon the smaller ones. Well, I want to talk for a little while about three major decisions that are just that way. They are three of the greatest decisions you and I are ever confronted with and will have more to do with how you live your life in sum and where you will spend eternity than any other. They are the decisions pertaining to your master, your mate, and your mission in life. Now, first of all, we must all choose who our master will be, who we will serve. Who is your master? You may say, well, that's me. I'm free to do as I please, and no one tells me what to do or how to live my life. I have complete autonomy in my life. Well, is that true? You know, we live in a world divided into various kingdoms, which at the least want to maintain their power, if not expanded, and in each of those kingdoms, you have subjects, people subjugated to that dominion of that power. And the kingdoms around us seek to have as much dominance, control and influence in the world as they can. But that's not only true geopolitically, it's true spiritually. Spiritually, there are two kingdoms that are wrestling for control of every person And you're a citizen and I'm a citizen and a subject of one of those two powers. There is the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of the devil. There's the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of sin. There's the kingdom of light, and then there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of heaven, and there's the kingdom of this world system. Now, you know, whichever kingdom you're part of, tells us who our allegiance and our obeisance belongs to. You can't belong to a particular kingdom and not submit to that power or that king. That's what it means to be a subject of a kingdom. Now Paul said to the Christians in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that God has delivered us from the power, and that word means rule or dominion, of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom or reign or rule of the son of his love, or the son whom he loves, as another translation puts it. In other words, you belong to and are under the rule of the devil, or you're under the rule of Christ Jesus. There is no other kingdom to which you might belong. Now, you may say, no, no, I'm my own master. I do as I choose. Nobody tells me how to live, but that is a delusion. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now it's true that nobody can take you captive spiritually. He says you present yourself. You submit yourself to one of two masters. Well, how do we present ourselves as slaves to evil? We'll look back at verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members, that's talking about our body, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see, when you live to fulfill the desires of the flesh, or you live for your own pleasure, for your own profit, or perhaps to fit in and please the world, you are presenting your mind, body, your being, your soul to the devil to use for his purposes. You become his pawn that he uses to build up and further his kingdom, which is in the business of trying to thwart the authority of God and usurp the authority of God over his creation. That's the struggle we see pictured in the Bible from beginning to end. That's why the Bible pictures this constant battle taking place, not only in the unseen realms, but in the unseen realm of our heart as well. That internal battle is between the flesh and the spirit, and which is in control. Now, to allow the flesh, with its carnal appetites, to control, or to have the flesh under the control of our spirit, which in turn is to be subject to the spirit of God through his word, that's the battle, that's the choice, that's the decision. And you see, either the spirit is in control over the flesh or the flesh is in control. And if the spirit is in control, that's because God rules on the throne of your heart. And if the flesh is in control, well, Satan is ruling there. It's as simple as that. That's why Paul describes some in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4 as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He's talking about the sinful world. He said that's how men will be throughout the last days. And that, of course, describes our world that lives for self and sin and pleasure and Satan and so forth. You see, if we unrepentantly live in sin and go through life doing what we want, instead of submitting ourselves to the law of God, the devil is in control of us. We are his slave, whether we stop to think about that or realize that or not. It doesn't change the reality. Jesus thus said in John chapter 8 and verse 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, that's talking about the person who gives himself over to sin. He is a slave of sin. That's the reality. So it's not a matter of living as we please, as so many claim. It's a matter of being under the dominion of Satan and sin or the dominion of Christ. So who is your master? Whom are you serving day by day? That's a question you and I should stop to seriously consider. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, beginning in the fifth verse, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, living for the devil ensures present spiritual death and ultimately eternal death. Have you submitted your life to the will of God? Not if you're stubbornly living in sin. Not if you're refusing the gospel and obedience to the gospel. And as long as you live according to the flesh, you live for this life, its pleasures, pleasing the flesh, you cannot please God. You cannot serve God. That's what makes the decision, whom will you serve, such a fundamental choice. Like Joshua put before the people long ago in Joshua 24, Choose this day whom you will serve. We all have a choice to make. Submit yourself to Jesus and find not only justification from past sins through faith in Christ, but then let his sanctifying power transform your life into something wonderful and give you everlasting life and peace. Or you can refuse to surrender to him and face the judgment and destruction and doom that's coming to all of Satan's domain. His is a doomed kingdom destined to fall. Are you in that kingdom, part of that kingdom, or are you in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, submitted to him as Lord and Master? Second, one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make is not only your master, but your mate. You know, few earthly choices will have a greater impact on the sum of your earthly life and your eternal faith than who you choose to marry. Now, what is marriage? Marriage is a divine institution. Never forget that it was not created by the government and therefore the government does not have the right to define and regulate it. Marriage is the creation of God. God defines it. God regulates it. And marriage was the first institution he established in this world. It began in Eden when God said it was not good for the man whom he had created to be alone, and so he created a woman, placed her by Adam's side, that they might work together to fulfill God's purpose for them on earth. That's a beautiful thing. God created marriage as a means of populating the earth, giving man and woman physical fulfillment and pleasure, giving man and woman companionship and help for one another. But you see, in and even above all of that, God created marriage to fulfill his purposes in the world and thus bring glory to him. Now therefore, marriage is a sacred and a solemn estate that should not be entered into flippantly. Marriage even pictures the relationship of Christ and his bride, the church, Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. But unfortunately, many don't look at marriage this way and consequently, they're very careless about entering into marriage and they apply the wrong standards when choosing a mate. Now, when that happens, not only do we denigrate the institution of marriage, but we bring great harm to ourselves and others. Listen to me. Few things, very few things can destroy your life any more than marrying the wrong person. And few things will have as great an effect upon your spiritual life and your soul's destiny than the choice of who you'll marry. There's not hardly anything in life that will bless you any more than marrying the right person. And therefore, I believe it's wrong for a Christian to choose to marry someone outside of the faith. Now, I didn't say it's wrong to be married to someone outside of our faith because Paul talked about and regulated that situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But I rather said it is wrong for a Christian to choose to marry someone that is not headed the same direction spiritually as they are. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39, Paul said, A widow may marry whomever she wishes, except that it be... Only in the Lord, that's a command. Paul said in Second Corinthians 6 and verse 14 that we are not to enter into a relationship where we are unequally yoked with an unbeliever because what communion is there between light and darkness and so forth? Now, of all relationships, why would that not be true of the one where we are to be closer to the other person than anyone else on earth? I can give you example after example of people who made shipwrecks of their faith because of who they married. And how the influence of the unbeliever or the weak and worldly Christian eventually won out. But more importantly, the Bible is full of such examples. God, God, for example, strictly forbade his people under the Old Testament from marrying the Canaanites and other pagan peoples. But yet, the disobedience and the stubborn foolishness of his own people proved the wisdom of God's command time and again. The choice of who God's people married often led God's people down a very slippery slope and down a disastrous course. King Solomon took hundreds of worldly wives who ended up turning his heart away from God. Uh, The wicked pagan woman Jezebel took a weak and already bad off man named Ahab and sealed his fate and brought generations of death and judgment into their family. Unless you think I'm just laying all it off on the wife or the woman, There was a wonderful woman named Abigail who married the wrong man, and he brought all kinds of misery into the situation. Fortunately, she remained true to God. Now you may say, I've already made the mistake. I married someone who doesn't live for the Lord. They're not a Christian. What do I do? Well, you do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. You remain loyal to God. You try to remain in that relationship, but make sure you remain loyal to God. And pray that your good influence wins them to Christ. But beware and do not allow them to erode your faith and compromise your convictions. And that happens so many times. My point today is aimed primarily at those who are unmarried. Marry someone who is headed the same direction you are spiritually. Marry someone who will help you be more like Jesus Christ. And cause you to love him and his church more. Not the other way around. Aside from deciding to follow Christ, who you marry is truly one of the most impactful decisions you will ever make. Third, not only your master and your mate, one of life's three greatest decisions is your mission. What is your life about? Do you ever stop to consider that? Do you ever step back far enough that you can see the forest instead of just the trees and ask the question, what am I living for? And what am I investing myself in the precious time and opportunity that God has afforded me in this existence we call earthly life? Now, for many, their mission is to acquire things, money, property, possessions. You play the game of life, whoever ends up with the most wins. Well, that's the predominant philosophy of life for the worldly people around us and for some people who profess to be Christians. Consequently, they spend their lives obsessing and striving to succeed in life. You know what Paul said about that? He said, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in a foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Friends, I have seen that personally in several lives. And then some make it their mission to find as much pleasure as they can. They live for fun and thrills. Moses, though, rightly decided when he was 40 years old and had tasted the pleasures of living in the palace of Egypt, that the pleasures of sin are only for a season. Some live to make a name for themselves. But, you know, we live a few years, we die, we're buried, and most of us are soon forgotten, regardless of what we do in life. Solomon spent much of his life discovering all of this. And he begins his sermon to the young man in Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses one and two, by saying the words of the preacher, the son of David, King in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now the word vanity refers to a breath or a vapor that's quick and fleeting and empty. That's the life that has its mission the things that Solomon tried to find happiness and fulfillment in. He tried money of which he had more than you can imagine. He tried sex, he had hundreds of wives and concubines. He tried it all, and he spells all of that out throughout his oration to the young man. And when the transitory pleasures of life had passed, he had to shake his head and say, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And so he reminds us of two important things. Everything we do in life will culminate in eternal judgment. Life is not merely about here and now, it's about the hereafter. He writes in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. And then he advises the young man in chapter 12 to instead remember God while he is young and put his life to good use. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait until you're old and your life has been poured out like water and wasted to realize this. He then says in verses 13 and 14, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the sum of it all. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now is that your mission in life? Is that what your life is about? Jesus said our life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. Our soul is our great possession. And if our mission in life is not to use our soul, our being, our body, our talents, our time, our opportunities, our life, for the use and the glory of God, we've missed the boat, we've missed the bark, and our life is a waste. I want to challenge you today to stop and contemplate your life and these three great decisions, because you'll never make any more important. No. Oh. Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. Friend, you'll never make a greater decision and a more impactful decision than the decision to become a Christian, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to become His learner and His follower. And that begins with obedience to the gospel. If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus by repenting of the sins you've committed, putting your faith and trust in Him, being baptized for the remission of your sins. We'd love to hear from you today. We'd be glad to put you in touch with someone to assist you in that great beginning to a new life in Jesus Christ. If you'd like a copy of our lesson today, Life's Greatest Decisions, ask for it by that title when you get in touch with us and we'll send you a free transcript. Everything we offer on the program is free of any cost whatsoever. We will never ask you for a dime. We're not here for your money. We just want to hear from you requesting the sermon, and we'll be glad to send it to you. Thanks for joining me today, and as always, I hope you'll make your plans, if God is willing, to join me back here next time for our next broadcast, our next Bible study together. In the meantime, you can find us online, ltbstv.org. and Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and share our content. That will help us to spread the word of the gospel, perhaps more than you know. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week ahead, and if God is willing, I'll meet you back here next time. Have a great week.
1: Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by the Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org.